Now, Avion Facial Spray is is water and an aerosol component. So it's basically water uh, because the aerosol is air and, and water. Avion Facial Spray water, they charge $2.50 an ounce. That is my guest, Dan Balkowski, with an amazing story about the power of pricing Evian water, which you'll hear more about in the episode. I'm Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode 135 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. Thanks for checking out the podcast. I appreciate you. Now, this is part two of our interview on all things pricing. Of course, we didn't really get into all things, but we covered a lot in this long interview. If you missed part one, I recommend taking a listen, and you can find that at secretsofpm.com along with all the other episodes of this podcast. Now, Dan is a pricing expert, as you'll hear. In this part of the interview, I asked him about a pricing problem that I had in an old company and how he'd think about that challenge and what actions he might take. Very illuminating and some really good examples. And that's where the Evian story came in. So without any further ado, let's get into that question that I was asking. I have this question that you've seen this question already, and I don't know if there'll be a good answer if this answer will end up in the in the podcast, honestly. I used to work on a product that was for product managers. It was a product management tool. We, when we did that competitor-based pricing, we basically priced it like dev tools. So dev, dev tools are typically on the order of $150, $100 per month per dev, right? And this was a tool for product managers, so we price it around $100 per month per product manager. The th difference is that there's only a tenth as many product managers. And arguably what product managers do is 10 times as valuable as an individual developer, what they do, right? Because we create the product that sales sells and stuff like this. And again, this is a retrospective analysis that I did after that company failed mm -hmm. because we weren't making enough money. And so I was curious, if you were to be the pricing person in charge of that product, would you say, oh, yeah, we really should be charging $1,000 per month for people, 10 grand per year, for example? And does that make sense? How would you think about pricing in this situation? What would you need to do in order to say, oh, I think we need to charge 10 times as much as we're charging if we want to be successful? In other words, you're starting actually from a cost-based argument almost, but then how do you ramp that up to, oh, well, the reason this is valuable is because you know I can make this value argument. I'm just curious what your what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, well, I have a, I have a whole bunch of thoughts. So I'm, I'm going to start off with a couple of things we've already touched on as, as frameworks to answer your question. So the first would be this concept in the value cascade of exchange value. So exchange value is really what is your positive or negative differentiation compared to the next best competitive alternative. So my first question would be, is software dev tools actually the next best competitive alternatives? Because the next best competitive alternative isn't your version of what you think your competitors, it's the in the mind of customers. What do mm -hmm. they think is actually the best alternative? So if there's, you know, let's say we're AHA and whatever, you know, other product uh, sure. AHA has, right? Or a competitor AHA has, right? It's like that other product is probably like the more relevant competitor. Or yeah. again, we if we think about a jobs to be done approach, right? It's it's all of the spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations and exactly. wonky, yeah. you know, Jira ways we're trying to manage a product uh, functionality, right? So understanding what is your best next best competitive alternative uh, from a customer's perspective is, is really important to to making that comparison correctly. The other thing is, again, using the next step of the value cascade, this concept of perceived value, right? Like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you think 
that product managers are 10 times more valuable. It matters what your customer thinks or, or that you can prove to them that they'll actually accept is actually the value that they're they're getting, right? So right, the perception right. of their value, right? Ray applies is like, yeah, well, that may be true, but like, I believe that 50% of what you're telling me, right? right. So your your beautiful spreadsheet calculation just got a, a 0.5 uh, multiplier hammered down, right? So so you don't get to decide that, right? That or You could... You could work on that. There's ways to support that through the whole process called value communication, where we we tell a better uh, story. As you've, you've hit to that multiple times, mm-hmm. so now let's let's use a, a a direct example because I think that there are situations where this is done effectively, and so I want to give your listeners some actionable uh, tips. We'll tell it via story. So uh, this happened to the tire company Michelin. So Michelin they make. Uh, you know, regular tires for vehicles mm-hmm. as well as commercial truck tires. Uh, Michelin came out with a commercial truck tire innovation that made their tires last 25% longer than their the existing models on the market. They believed that they could charge 25% more to capture that value. We could argue like, you know, they could capture the full 25%, but but fundamentally the market was anchored to sort of the the standard uh, rate. So they so their ability to actually charge that incremental for the amount of value the additional value they created was limited. So instead what they did was they changed the pricing metric. So instead of charging per tire, again this is in the commercial truck tire market, mm-hmm. they charge per mile driven. And so because the tires lasted longer, they were actually able to capture that. Now, that's only effective the more innovative your product is or the stronger the vendor's position you have a greater chance of convincing customers to sort of adopt this this new way of, of thinking about uh, the value. But it was a win for Michelin and for their customers because you know there's a lot of times the trucks are just sitting the the truckers only get revenue when the trucks are moving, right? That's mm-hmm, how they mm-hmm. that's how their business model works. And so it aligned the value that Michelin was providing with with the business model of the of the customers. It was a win all around. So that's one way to think about it. The other way is you know, from a value-based story. I really like this uh, example. Avion, the bottled water company. So Avion is a premium bottled water uh, provider. Uh, if you look at you know what they charge is about three cents an ounce for bottled water versus you know a reference price in that market would be like Dasani, you charge about one cents an ounce. Now you're like, wow, Avion for for basically the product that you know comes out of your tap at a millionth of a cent per ounce is able to charge uh, not only a premium above that, but 3X other bottled water, right? Which is amazing. So you think they'd stop there, but instead what, what Avion looked at was a different market. So this really focuses on what is it that you're actually selling? And this is where value-based pricing can get really, really valuable. What Avion did was they looked at this facial spray market. And what facial spray is for is if you wear color cosmetics, you put them on in the morning, by the time the afternoon comes, those color cosmetics have started to fade. And so, you know, from Goop, Super Goop, and from a bunch of other companies, there's this facial spray where you spray it on and it revives the the, the makeup on your face. Now, Avion facial spray is, is water and an aerosol component. So it's basically water uh, because the aerosol <laughs> is the air and, and water. Avion facial spray water they charge $2.50 an ounce. So if we think about if we think about Avion bottled water, a half a cup of Avion, the same about for your uh, tap water, it's a 1500x a price uh, differential tap water to Avion bottled water. So if you have a half a cup of Avion, you fill your 30 gallon uh, bathtub with with tap water, that's the same price. If we think about Avion facial spray, if I think about one of those office uh, five gallon water jugs, 
it's the equivalent of filling a Olympic sized pool with tap water. <laughs> like that's how much of a price premium that they have. Right. So, so in there, they're able to change what they were selling to actually generate and who they were selling to, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, generate an incredible mm-hmm. price premium. So maybe this is why Evian is actually naive spelled backward. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I think that goes back to like the fundamentals that Jeffrey Moore talked about in crossing the chasm, like even right. The, the bowling alley strategy where you, you focus on the, the market that has the biggest need and the most willingness to pay initially. It's sort of a, a flip side of that. Mm-hmm. And the reason I really like that story too is I just get all of this pushback from technology leaders about, oh, well, this is just how we do pricing, right? And this is how it's just done in our market. I'm like, look, this Avion did this with water. You couldn't think of a more commoditized market than water. And like, they're able to charge $2.50 an ounce. Like, this is, a, this is the power of pricing that for some reason, most managers don't appreciate. Yeah. So do they make as much money from the the facial spray as they do from the bottled water? Or what's the, se- uh, I, what's I the have, segment I haven't, size difference? I haven't looked, I haven't looked at, at, at those uh, breakdowns. But but again, I think it's important to understand, and we haven't really talked about it, but what is you know, what is an effective price really? It's the price that maximizes long-term profitability. So, mm-hmm. you know, like there's there's many businesses you could use to generate revenue, right? Go start a restaurant. But restaurants are highly, most of them fail, first of all. And then even the ones that are successful have like 2% for, you know, net profit margins, right? Yeah. That's not the kind of business most people want to want to fund right. or, or build, right? You want a highly profitable business, not just a business that you could sell, you know, sell a bunch of commodities into uh, and just, you know, you got no uh, money to fund all the, all the innovation that you could bring to. That's right. That's life. right. I love that. And actually, restaurants are such a good metaphor for almost everything in product management that I love that you brought that up. Well, this has been so educational for me, Dan, and um, hopefully for the folks listening. I would like you to say a little bit about product tranquility. Tell me about product tranquility. Well, so Product Tranquility is my consultancy. I'm based here in Austin, Texas. Uh, we help high volume B2B SaaS CEOs define pricing and packaging for new and existing products. So happy to you know, have conversations with folks. You know, that can include you know everything from coming in helping companies with you know diagnostics, understanding you know where they are in the pricing journey across you know, different dimensions of of SaaS pricing excellence to understand mm-hmm. where to invest more um, or where they're already strong or where there are opportunities to improve. That can in- include sort of uh, advisory, uh, you know, people have questions, uh, you know, pr- internal pricing champions or someone who got stuck. <laughs> Maybe they're not pricing champions, they're just the person who got stuck with pricing and doesn't know what to do. You know, it could help uh, have a kind ear to to listen to their problems and help uh, guide them in the right direction. Um, or, you know, full-fledged support uh, doing research projects uh, in the pricing realm. So, so what's what should people call you? What's the signal that somebody needs you? Yeah. So, you know, generally I found that, you know, pricing is one of these things that most managers treat like uh, a black box and therefore it creates a lot of fear. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So what I find tends to break things enough that that people give me a call is you've grown sort of beyond your initial customer segment to the point that now we talked about a value story for a particular customer segment. Now you're selling to another segment that that value story doesn't make sense. The way you're charging uh, doesn't make sense for this broader uh, market opportunity that you're pursuing. 
they've grown either organically or inorganically in product development. So now they have you know what could be a second product or a, a new offer configuration or set of add-ons. And you know, especially if they go have inorganic growth and acquire another company or get acquired, it tends to require some rationalization across mm-hmm. products so that mm-hmm. you know you're not making the salespeople's head spin every time they are trying to sell another product in the in a deal that they have to tell an entirely different story of a different pricing model, a different pricing metric, uh, et cetera. Um you know, I've seen a little bit of of uh, disruption uh, with the macro environment where I see now a lot of companies are were benefiting. You know, if they had a pricing metric, for example, based upon seats, um, you know, and we we could go into a, a a longer discussion about whether seats are good or not. But you know, for lack of a better term, if you know the economy is growing, everyone's adding headcount as fast as possible. Those are nice tailwinds. We turn into a macro environment where it looks like we have a looming recession. Knock on wood. I don't hope for it at all. But people are finding it much harder to acquire new business overall, as well as the existing customers are reducing headcount. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, those head those tailwinds have turned into headwinds. Um, and so now people are really looking at okay, we've added a bunch of value, for example, to make our customers more effective in terms of building in automations, right? So they can do more with less, but we really haven't tried to monetize that. So it's really affect, you know, as our our new ARR gets harder and harder to acquire, we're really looking at ways that we can increase our our net revenue retention with existing customer base and be able to to monetize the value we've created over the past several years, but really haven't thought much about. And, And so you can help people solve that problem. That sounds like that's the key message here. I would sort of summarize that. I mean, one of the big things I think certainly I've struggled with and I, uh, companies I've worked with, we have this cool new thing that's really an add-on to an existing product, but we would like to make more money from it because it's so cool or, you know, so important, but we don't know how to do that. We just, nor- it's just, we, the normal thing is we just include it with the price of the existing product, but you can help us work through that and figure out how to price that whether we whether it's legit whether we legitimately can make more money based on that or something like that is that correct absolutely would love to okay perfect adding a new module and how do you charge for that is is one thing changing realizing that you're sort of needing to change the way you're talking about pricing and value to the to the market for whatever reason and if you have this macro environment type of change where there's suddenly headwinds that didn't used to be there what do you do about that three things that happen to every company all the time, right? I mean, if they last that long, right, to get to that point, then they need to call you and uh, and help get your help. Very good. And I assume that if they search for Product Tranquility or go to ProductTranquility.com, they'll find you. Yeah, ProductTranquility.com. I, I blog fairly regularly on there trying to outline all my past uh, pricing mistakes so other people don't have to make the same mistakes I did. They all make new mistakes and then tell me about those. That's how we all learn in the virtuous cycle. Uh, or happy to connect with folks on LinkedIn at Dan Balkowski. Just let me know you heard me on the podcast so I could separate it from the rest of the LinkedIn spam. Fantastic. Yeah. So always mention how you found out about a person when you send a connection request. It's good policy. It makes people much more likely to accept them. I know that is true for me and good to hear from you, Dan, that that is also true. This has been a really great conversation. I've really enjoyed it, Dan. I've learned a lot and I'm hoping, as I said, that folks listening have heard learned a lot as well. And any last words you want to share about pricing before we hang it up? You know, overall, I would say, you know, treat pricing like a process. You know, it's something that you know, your your product is continually evolving. As we talked a lot about in this conversation, your value is continually evolving. Your competitor's value is evolving. New market entrants, you know, new product releases coming out, you know, new macro environment. So it's, you know, don't be afraid of, you know, 
starting to make small changes. I see too much sort of fear, uncertainty. Uh, that's you know nobody owns it. It's a it's a black box. Uh, so we don't do anything with it. Uh, and it's it's a high leverage. Uh, growth opportunity that is just too often left to the side. So uh, that would be my one encouragement to, to your audiences. Fantastic. And my encouragement would be, there are people that really know a lot about this, like Dan. And if you get their help, you will have a lot more success at changing <laughs> pricing and making more money. Simple as that. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Loved having you. Maybe we'll have you back because there's a ton of other questions that people probably have. And I know that you get and are prepared to answer. So We'll, we'll consider having you come back at some point in a few months. I would love to, Nils. I appreciate you having me on the show. Hopefully it's valuable to your audience. And uh, yeah, we'd love to come back and, and talk more. We will talk to you later. Thank you very much, Dan. And that's the end of the interview with Dan Velkowski. I hope you enjoyed it and learned as much as I did. If you missed part one, just go to the website, secretsofpm.com. You can find audio and notes for all of the episodes. This is episode 135. And part one was episode 134. You can find links to Dan's contact information there and other information about the show as well, including the book he recommended in the first part of the show. If you want to reach out to Dan, you can find him on LinkedIn. Tell him that you heard him on the Secrets of Product Management show. Or you can go to his website, producttranquility.com, where you can find his blog and lots of other great information. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. And until next time, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye. <laughs>